G'day, and welcome to My Favourite Album. I'm journalist and filmmaker Jeremy Dillon, and each episode I'll be talking to a different guest about an album they love and how it's influenced and inspired them. My guest today is a Rolling Stone writer who goes from cover stories on Janelle Monet to tweeting truth bombs like shares 15 minutes on screen in Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again, were better than all of Bohemian Rhapsody. Brittany Spanos, welcome to my favorite album. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks for being here. Brittany, what's your favorite album? My favorite album is Horses by Patti Smith. I'm really glad you chose this record because I feel Mm. like it's one of those important records in the rock canon that somehow we haven't talked about on the five years of me doing this show. So I'm glad we're going to get to talk about it today. So this album came out in 1975. I'm going to take a swing at this and say that you're probably a bit too young to have heard it when it (laughs) first came out. So what's your origin story with this record? I very distinctly remember listening to the album because when I was in junior high I was already knew that I wanted to be a music journalist and so I was very much like reading Spin and Rolling Stone and just any sort of like music magazine like I would like buy Q and Mojo and everything like I was reading them so much and I was like taking everything very seriously that I read in there and I very distinctly remember that Michael Stipe had there was like a little blurb and Spin in one of the issues and it was just like Michael Stipe talking about how much he loved horses and so I immediately was like let me check this out let me listen to this album and I loved it right away and I think at that point I was already starting to learn a lot more about punk history and you know that Penny Smith and just her entire early career in New York and in that sort of CBGB scene was so pertinent to all that. So it really fit into kind of what I was already super interested in at that moment. But it was definitely, it was a recommendation from Michael Stipe via Spin Magazine. Well, that's not a bad way to get into it at all. Was was that when he said, there's a quote from him about this record, which is something like, it tore my limbs off and stuck them back on in a different way. Yes, it was. Yeah, it was like, I don't remember like what the quote was for, if it was like some like roundup of, you know, I just, I remember reading that quote and I was like, oh, I need to check this album out, I guess. Like, this sounds really good. So it's true. <laughs> so if you were already an aspiring music journalist at the time, were you sort of aware of this album's critical reputation and how, because it's interesting sometimes to look back at seminal records, you look back at how they were originally received 
and often the Rolling Stone reviews of albums that are considered classic aren't so kind in their original form, particularly something like Led Zeppelin. But the reviews of this record, even at the time, a lot of them were raves and people did seem to get it straight away. Yeah. I don't remember if I had read a lot of the reviews or anything. I remember going and finding just like old interviews from her and things like that. And I don't remember necessarily going into archives or anything to look up what the reception behind the album was. And I think I read more about it in a cultural context, you know, reading like Lakes McNeil's Please Kill Me and things like that, that were kind of about the scene at that time. But I don't remember finding or like even looking up the sort of critical reception from that moment in time. I was more interested in what she had to say about the album and like how it fit into this particular moment. And so how did reading what she had to say about the record influence the way you were interpreting it? Like when you were first listening to it and then you were reading stuff that she was saying about it, I guess to some extent that must have been recontextualizing the songs and the lyrics for you as you were getting into the record. Yeah, I think I really fell in love with Patti Smith and her sort of ethos behind how she makes art and how she writes and kind of the very poetic way that she sees New York City and the way that she saw the world at that time. And I think that made the record even more beautiful. And I mean, I think something with this album in particular, and I I was thinking about this before we hopped on the phone to talk about this, but I think a lot about the things that I've been very sort of, things that I've loved and I've always considered to be my favorite in any aspect, like Horses being my favorite album, Nirvana being my favorite band, and these things that have always been really unchanging for me. And it's more just about the feeling that they brought me in that moment that I first heard it and like the way that it kind of, brought this profound emotion. And I think what I loved about Penny Smith and what I loved about how she saw this album in the context of that time and in her career was that it really did feel like the rawness of that profound emotion was so genuine in everything. Like it felt very much like this is supposed to be a snapshot of my life at this time. And is that feeling something that you can recapture when you go back and you listen to the record now? I'm assuming you've listened to it like countless times over the years. Yeah, every time I return to it, and you know, I can go really long periods of time where, I mean, obviously just working in music journalism, I'm in so many different spaces at once, but even just like listening to this week before our conversation just kind of brought me back to that place. And I mean, I just think the the rawness of the way that she sings it, it's always come down more to the sound of the album and sort of the passion that is evoked from it more than even just like what she's saying at some points. Like, it's just like, it comes down to the way that she's expressing it. And that's always been what has drawn me to horses. Little boy's face lit up with such naked joy that the sun burned around his lids and his eyes were like two suns. White lids, white opal, seeing everything just a little bit too clearly. And looked around and there was no black ship in sight. No black funeral cars, nothing except for him. The raven fell on his knees, looked up and cried out. Let's talk about the sound of the album. Maybe you can say something about this and that it's, 
I mean, it's produced by John Cale, but it's mm-hmm. not, you know, you wouldn't describe it as like a highly produced album in any way, but it has a mm-hmm. real, you know, defining ethos to the sound and the attitude and the point of view that comes across in the way that it sounds. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that at the time that I was just learning about punk history and learning about kind of just like the New York sound of the 70s, I think I couldn't really wrap my head around the idea of all the different ways that punk manifested itself at that time or like what that sound was. In my head, it was very much like everything was supposed to sound really like just purely messy and kind of like the three chords, kind of badly tuned instruments and also very masculine. You know, the Ramones, the Sex Pistols, like I was listening to a lot of that. And I remember listening to Horses and I realized kind of it opened up my definition of what punk was, of what rock music could be, because it was really just about like listening to a song like Land or listening to Gloria. Just they're so driving and they really kind of get my heart racing in a way that, you know, is hard to find in music. It's hard to find songs that really like take your breath away and make you just like want to like thrash around and just like throw shit. And it's incredible that a lot of those songs, even if they're not necessarily kind of angry or testosterone fueled in the way that we kind of expect or, you know, are taught to expect rock and punk are supposed to be just the way that she's able to find that within the songs always really just moved me. What's interesting that this kind of, in some ways it slipped into being before the idea of what punk was meant to sound like was so codified, like Mm -hmm. that idea that you just referenced then that punk songs are like power chord, three chord things with really simple, straightforward, politically subversive lyrics or whatever. Whereas mm-hmm. this is much more sort of sprawling and like poetic yeah. and so like ten minute songs. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's one song that's under three minutes, but it's not yeah. that kind of like classic Ramones. Everything is like a minute fifty nine or whatever vibe. But this kind of it's one of those interesting things, I guess, where the pioneers of a genre can escape the trappings of what it comes to be defined as later when people, you know. She wasn't going, I'm going to make a punk record. She was just making mm-hmm. a record. And then later it became a seminal piece of work in that movement. Yeah. Yeah. And I think just like the stories that she was telling, I think it really painted these scenes in a way that I had not explored in what I listened or what I had looked for in music. And I do find myself kind of longing for that type of visual stimulation when I am listening to music. Like I want to be able to like, kind of like see this image in front of me that's sort of not even necessarily super cogent, that's kind of abstract, that's kind of weird. Like I think of, I mean, my favorite song is Land and I love just sort of that image of Johnny in the hallway and the way that she kind of describes it and the kind of like ticking sound beneath it makes it just like really amped up and always kind of reminds me of that Scorsese film After Hours where it just feels like it's moving really fast and it's really terrifying and the stakes are super high and it all just kind of explodes. Wow. Johnny wanted to run, but the movie kept moving as planned. The boy took Johnny, he pressed him against a locker. He drove it in, he drove it home, he drove it deep in Johnny. The boy disappeared. Johnny fell on his knees, started crashing his head against a locker. Started crashing his head against a locker. Started laughing hysterically when suddenly Johnny gets a feeling. He's being surrounded by horses, 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 horses Coming in in all directions, white, shining, silver, studs with their nose 
So, Land is one of your favourite songs. What mm-hmm. were your favourite songs during your initial period of listening to this record? And have those changed over the years? Have some of the other songs maybe unpacked themselves or you've found different ways of seeing them as you've gone through life? I've always loved Gloria. I think it's just such a fantastic song. It's, I mean, I'm like a huge fan of the way that people can cover music and I always find it really fascinating the way people interpret songs, but the way that she completely changed them's original Gloria and made it into something that's like just very barely even what the original song was is fantastic. And it's one of my favorite karaoke songs when I can find it. Um, <laughs> very hard to find, but when I do, it's it's worth it. I, I also really love that song because I was in Catholic school, so I just kind of, that opening lyric of Jesus died for somebody's sins but not mine just completely transformed me. I was just like, oh my God, who, like how, how is this like a real lyric on this? And Free Money, similar sort of like stakes feel really high in a weird way on that song, just kind of the way that the chord progression happens and the way the song builds up. Also just like a really fantastic pop song in a lot of ways. Really catchy and kind of like, I always felt like it was really underrated on the album. The version I had had a, a cover of the Who's My Generation that I just really loved turning to. It was so messy and so fun and just like made me really nostalgic for a time I never experienced. And loved Birdland, just really beautiful little song. And it just kind of, again, like very visual, a little more like sad than a lot of the album is. I'm not going to list every song in detail, but I mean, those are like my favorites. <laughs> I almost listed all of them, but hey, th- those are... There's only eight songs I... on the record. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just from start to finish, it's like so, so incredibly tight. Yeah. Yeah. Even with an almost 10 minute or two almost 10 minute songs, it still manages to never drags. It never feels... I mean, I guess that's part of the thing about only having eight songs on the record. Which, yeah. Which I kind of think of as being a mid-70s thing in a way like the songs were getting longer but we still only had what could fit on a vinyl record so like Mm -hmm. something like this or born to run was kind of you had to have fewer tracks because the songs were getting longer yeah and I, i kind of grew into my music knowledge and kind of music nerdiness at the time of itunes and so i was very used to like buying singles on itunes and i was someone i would like skip around a lot of albums and i love the idea of like going back and even with my cd walkman like i would be like okay i just like need to listen to this one song and i need to like skip ahead to this one thing and that's just always been the way that i've consumed music and horses i like it's very difficult for me to skip around on that album and it's very rare that i go there just to listen to one song like maybe gloria is a song that i go back to i'm like i just like really have this stuck in my head and need to listen to it but it's one of very few albums for me where it's like difficult for me to skip around or even have a purpose to listen to just one song it feels like it is a record where it's it's a whole other world that's being created and if you're you're stepping into that world you're probably doing it with some level of intentionality so you're Mm -hmm. probably not gonna step out until you've gone through the whole journey yeah yeah absolutely jesus died for somebody's sins but not mine Milton out of thieves Wild cord of my sleeve Thick heart of stone My sins my own They belong to me Me People say beware 
I just want to go back to something you mentioned a minute ago, which is that famous opening line from Gloria. And mm-hmm. that is probably, I mean, I want to get your opinion on this, but do you think that is the best opening line from any record? It's got to be up there. Yeah. I mean, nothing else is coming to mind, but also I don't know if anything, like I, I very distinctly remember how shocked I felt when I was 12 years old listening to that, you know, and going to Catholic school every day. I just remember being like, who says this? Like, this is so (laughs) insane. And feeling just like so scandalized in a way that a lot of other things, you know, just like growing up on video games and TV and like not really having a lot of set rules on what I could watch. Like, I don't know why that line just felt so like scandalizing to me, but yeah, it felt really, it just felt really cool. And then the, the song's kind of like cabaret too. It's kind of a little bit theatrical, the way that she's singing it, you know, the way she's kind of going through this scene of seeing Gloria across the street. It feels like it's almost like a Broadway musical, kind of narrating this little like kind of sensual moment before it kind of leads to the big rock kind of chorus. But yeah, it's just like that line sets like such a wild tone. It does have that sort of beat poet aspect to it you kind of wonder if she'd made this record 20 years earlier would it have all been like bongos and (laughs) you know sax players in the background yeah it's it's very slinky that song and it also kind of plays like nicely with that like iconic cover photo of her with sort of the you know in the white shirt and the trousers with the jacket slung over the shoulder it's sort of like she's tony bennett at at 10 o'clock during his encore you know it's got that whole kind of vibe to it as well I mean, there was just so many things about listening to that album and about seeing that cover that just, I had no idea that like, there was a world like that out there. Like I had no idea that, you know, women can play with gender or be as androgynous as like we allow men to and like what that meant to be like one of few very public facing women in this genre. There was just so much that like as a 12 year old who grew up listening to really bubblegum pop that I, you know, have always and will continue to love, but definitely had very staunch gender roles to pivoting really hard in junior high to rock music and listening to mostly men and listening to mostly very masculine sounds. And I think seeing the way that Patty didn't really play by either rule, like her music is just Patty Smith, like no part of it feels gendered in any way, or even like the way that she toys with the androgyny, like she's never doing anything that feels like it has to fit into one particular pocket. It just exists as it does. And that was something that I found really empowering and that I found really interesting, fascinating to learn more about and also to open up my own listening experiences. Well, I guess that must have been important too, because if you're getting into rock music in a serious way and probably like the canon of rock music, Mm -hmm. which was codified over so many years is like, even though there's so many like countless important female figures in the history of rock music, the established canon of what was out there as the seminal records is a bit of a cock forest. So having yeah. this record, which has always been thought of as a really important record, not only made by a prominent female artist, but someone who was so comfortable with sort of a front facing gender fluidity would have just been, I imagine, a breath of fresh air amongst all the other stuff. Yeah, and I think it it definitely was that moment when you're like 10, 11, like you're not, like at least for me, like I wasn't thinking about who the people were that were singing the songs I loved. I was just like, I love this song. And I think finding Patty and like feeling so just scandalized by everything that she was doing, like not in a bad way, but just like 
I had never seen that before and I never heard that before and I never like, you know, heard music like the music that I heard on horses and knowing how influential it was on so many men that I like I already was listening to REM for so long and then to find out that she was such a big influence on REM it kind of was that moment of forcing myself to seek out more women in rock just seek out the women that were kind of paving this way and that were kind of less pushed into the forefront of the canon or what people consider the essentials of that genre because I mean just even after a couple years of digging into rock history it sucked that it took me so long to find her but also I feel like I found her at the exact right time. Every night before I go to sleep Find a ticket, win a lottery Scoop the pearls up from the sea Catch the men and buy you all the things you need. Every night before I rest my head, see those dollar bills go swirling in my bed. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Illinois. I grew up in the Chicago suburbs. Had you been to New York at all before when you heard this record for the first time? No, I never even went to New York until I was 17 to visit NYU. And I'd already made my decision to move to New York by that point. So I'm glad that I liked it. But around the time that I discovered horses was when I was 12 years old. And that was the time when I decided like, okay, I'm going to be a music journalist, I'm going to move to New York, I'm going to go to NYU, and I'm going to work for Rolling Stone. Like, that was all, like, decided at once. And then Horses, kind of, like, that made me even more curious about, like, the New York music history and those scenes there and became really obsessed with learning about all of that. And how much of your expectations of what it was going to be like being in music in any capacity in New York was going to be and what the scenes were going to be like was shaped by like this record and and reading Please Kill Me and all that kind of stuff? I didn't really have any expectations for what would be happening when I got there. I was such a tourist when I moved here and I was so curious about those kind of sites of the history, like going to the Chelsea Hotel or going through McDougal and finding these places that like all the artists that I loved roamed around, like just felt really cool. And it felt really nice to just like listen to horses walking through New York City and walking through the East Village or going past where CBGB's used to be. And of course, I knew that when I moved here, it wasn't going to be the same. And I think my my music taste at that point had kind of expanded out. But yeah, it was just, it felt really exciting to be like walking the same streets that people like Patti Smith did. And that felt really cool. That is really something that is like, it's not unique to America, but it's particular to America. I mean, I'm Australian and I've have very vivid memories of the first few times I went to New York or to Memphis or Echo Park or whatever and listening to records that are explicitly about those places or were Mm -hmm. famously like created and birthed out of those environments and it's quite it's sort of like wandering around a film set in some ways. Yeah and I mean even as much as everything has changed and a lot of those scenes aren't exactly the same the passion and kind of like those feelings are still there especially when you're like visiting for the first time or just moving there 
So I remember like listening to horses after I moved into my dorm and just like walking around the East Village and feeling so emotional about the fact that it was just kind of like finally get to match this up to a place where it was written and the place where so much of it had been like the inspiration for the album and for Patti Smith's career. So have you seen Patti Smith live? Have you seen her? I think she toured this record a couple of years ago, like playing it in full. Have you seen her play these songs in concert? I've seen her live a few times. The very first time I saw her live was at Lollapalooza in 2007. It was right after the covers album that she had released. I think it's called 12 had just come out. And I remember it was like that Lollapalooza was already so insane. And I had just never been to a music festival before. And it was like the studios were playing and like Amy Winehouse was playing and Pearl Jam and all these other artists that I was so obsessed with at that time. And I remember seeing Patti Smith and it was like, raining it was like on I think it was on that Saturday that she performed and it was like raining really hard and she was like performing she was doing the covers and like she had the smells like teen spirit cover that I was so excited to see her do live because Nirvana is my favorite band and you know Patti Smith obviously like one of my favorite artists and it was just like really very emotional moment for me and she did a bunch of the songs from Horses and it was such an emotional moment I actually got my copy of Horses signed by her because they had like a really cool autograph tent at Lollapalooza then I don't know if they still do that it was much smaller then but I like waited in line to go get it signed by her and my dad like took a picture of me and Patty together that I have and it looks very embarrassing because it's very 2007 (laughs) and was very much 15 and didn't know how to dress myself but she's like smiling and we're both like very excited to be meeting each other and I got my copy of horses signed so I still have my signed copy of the horses cd so that was, that was, I mean, hands down, like, one of the coolest moments. Awesome. And have you crossed paths with her or, or with Lenny Kay in a journalistic capacity? I have not. I have met Lenny Kay once, and he came to a class that I took in college. There was, like, these short courses on, like, music history. So I took a, a punk history course, and Lenny came to talk to our class, which was really cool. But I haven't interviewed either of them And it's like one of those things where I would love to, but also at the same time, I kind of like letting horses and kind of my like fandom for that exist separately for my career. And also like having met Patty, I'm just like, cool. That's a thing that happened. And it was a very nice moment that was so outside of the world of what I do now. But obviously, like if I did get the opportunity to interview her, it'd be really cool. Well, you got to like recreate the photo. You got to do like the 15 years later. I would do the photo with a new outfit, (laughs) (laughs) which is a completely new outfit. But yeah, I wouldn't do the full recreation. I mean, it's a really like terrible 15 year old outfit, but like in 2007, it's very much of the time. Well, I mean, I'm suspicious of anybody who looks good when they're a teenager. I think it's it's bad. I think you should look like shit when you're a teenager because then it's character building and you have something to improve from. (laughs) It's kind of nice to have like this really excited photo with Patty Smith. We both are like so smiley and it's just like so cute and it's just such a 2007 moment. So it's kind of nice to have that little like artifact. What do you look at surveying, like, let's say, vaguely contemporary music, music that's been made in the last few years or is being made now? 
What do you see as the legacy of horses? What do you see as the influence of the record on music today? I think Patti Smith is everywhere. I think there is such a, a beautiful through line from horses to, you know, like 80s college rock to grunge to singer-songwriters in the 90s to even more of that in the 2000s to now. I think it's such a great lineage that you can see so directly from across all genres that are semi-related to what Patti Smith is making. I think you can hear it in a lot more kind of like earnest rock music that we hear now, more earnest kind of singer-songwriter songs that we hear. I think there's a, a clear influence, even if it's not direct. I think it's definitely kind of come down from her. Cool. Final sort of off-topic question for you before I let you go. What are the records that are coming out in 2019 that you're excited about? Is there anything that you see coming down the pike that I might end up talking to somebody on this show about in 10 years? Oh, gosh. I don't know. There's a lot of stuff that I'm really excited about. I feel like whenever anything comes out, I'm just like, oh, my God, I love this album. This is the best album of the year, no matter at what point it comes out. I think I'm really excited for the Sky Ferreira album that's supposed to come out this year. I think it's been a really long time from her, and I feel like it's going to be like a really big album. Hopefully it does come out this year, but I feel like that's the type of album where it's like we've seen her like grow so much as an artist and also someone very clearly like Patti Smith influenced, you know, I think that she'll release a great album. I think there's like a lot of really big pop albums. I mean, I've loved every single one of the Lana Del Rey songs that have come out ahead of her album, Norman fucking Rockwell. And so I think that's going to be a really big one for her and kind of a great way of establishing her as a storyteller in her songwriting and I think that she's played with a lot of like nostalgia pop and with you know just kind of more like retro-y kind of silly pop songs that kind of combine modern words and phrases with like kind of the older sounds but I think this one's gonna see her just really showing that she is a phenomenal songwriter. That's a good call I think I mean I must have listened to Mariner's Apartment Complex about 17 billion times in the last couple of months so yeah. That and Venice Bitch, I think they're so, like, kind of Leonard Cohen, Joni Mitchell-y, but, like, not entirely. Like, they just kind of, like, give you that big sentiment of them, but it's not. It's very much Lana. It feels very strong. So I'm I'm excited to see what else she does. I feel like it's going to be really phenomenal. Yeah, and I like that it it still feels like her. It's She's not doing a, like, well, that was a persona and now here's the real me. It's still, like... You can see the lineage through from all their other records, but this is like some new level of depth and yeah. maturity in the writing. Yeah, and her not trying to like hop on trends or hop on any, like she's never really been one to try to hop on trends, but this one feels like she's kind of like focusing on her honesty and focusing on her lyrics and focusing on like what she has to say, which is, I think, a lot. Yeah, but she's not putting a flannel shirt on and like being pictured yeah. in the woods with an acoustic guitar. Right. Well, Brittany... I think that about wraps up our conversation for today. Thank you so much for talking to me about your favorite album. Yeah, thank you for having me. John gets up, takes off his leather jacket, takes to his chest.
that's it for another episode of My Favourite Album. Thanks for listening. I've been Jeremy Dillon. You can follow me at Mr. Jeremy Dillon. Like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash myfavouritealbum. Subscribe on iTunes. And if you dig the show, please leave a review. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. Silken hair and found a stare And I didn't waste time I just walked right up And saw that up there There is a sea up there There's a sea up there There's a sea sees the possibility There's no land but the land There's no sea but the sea possibilities up there there's a wall of possibilities Possibilities up there There are several walls of possibilities up there First possibility is to see around me I'm standing there with my legs spread Like a sailor I felt His hand on my knee On the screen And I looked at Johnny Thank you.